Thank you for joining the podcast of East Bay Bible Fellowship. We're located at 1361 High Street in the city of Alameda, California. For more information and service times, please visit our website at ebbfellowship.com. That's ebbfellowship.com. Thank you and God bless. excited about tonight's lesson. Uh, we have a lot of reading to do, and I might even open this up for some discussion because I'm curious to know what you think. But I do want to talk to you tonight about a very important subject in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19. And uh, this is, again, as we, as we discussed in prior lessons, when Israel came out of the wilderness, uh, one of the chief aims of God was to actually create a society. And within that society, there had to be governing laws. And so tonight, we're going to read about one of those laws. Um, And the reason we are spending time on this is because it's one of the very few laws uh, um, that actually makes it all the way into the New Testament. Um, And as we'll see, it even goes all all the way into uh, the book of Revelation. Um, You have read on this subject a lot. Uh, If you've ever read the Bible uh, or read through the Bible, you've read all about this. But uh, I want to highlight to you what is actually going on when you read this. Some of this you may know, some of this you may not know. This might um, uh, definitely is familiar to all of us, but I want to elaborate to you what it's talking about when you see this phraseology. So let's go. Deuteronomy chapter 19, who's got it? We're going to read verses 15. Uh, And I think, uh, just keep reading. Who wants to read? Uh, who, who's uh, Janelle? Uh, start at 15 and I'll tell you when to stop. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. And any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise, rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, Then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition, and behold, if the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do do unto him as he hath thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. 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 All right. I want to talk to you on this very simple subject. One witness is not enough. One witness is not enough. Um... This is going to be a very important lesson for the culture of our church. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I really want us to dig into this, and uh, I want us to get as much out of this as we can. So here we go. Interactions between people are not perfect. Um, and the reason they are not perfect is because people are not perfect. 
And so when you have two people who are not perfect, uh, imperfect plus imperfect does not equal perfect. Uh, you Imperfect plus imperfect equals imperfect. And in many cases, it actually equals conflict. Um, now, what should bother us is not the reality that people are imperfect. What should bother us, however, in my opinion, is that we might be uninformed or misinformed as to how to resolve what comes as a result of imperfect people having conflict. I think that it's vital for all of us to be very literate as to what the biblical guidelines are regarding conflict. Conflict comes in all shapes and sizes. You can have criminal conflict, you can have social conflict, you can have, you know, it, it goes from micro to macro. It can go big to small, small to big. And this, this that we're reading here actually applies to all manner of conflicts. Um, uh, and, and on top of that, no two conflicts are the same. They're different uh, in, in, in many ways. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a few minutes. However, I will tell you that the Bible does an excellent job at mitigating the process for us. Uh, I think the Bible does a wonderful job at helping us figure out and making the burden of conflict resolution not easy, but easier uh, than it would be if we had no biblical reference or compass. When two or more people are in a conflict, what inevitably inert emerges from that conflict are what we will call truth claims. And what I mean by that is everyone has their own side of the story. So if two people are going at it or 10 people versus 10 people, whatever, one group is going to say, this is, this is what started the conflict or this is what's causing the problem. And the other, the other group is going to have a very different opinion. These are truth claims. Um, in the Bible and in modern courts of law, uh, these truth claims are ultimately settled not by hearsay, and, uh, but by witnesses and proof and evidence. And before I go any further, uh, and my sister-in-law can correct me if I, have, if, I, if I need correct here, but there is a difference between proof and evidence. Evidence is, is, uh, is kind of up for interpretation. You can have evidence of something, but it doesn't necessarily uh, mean that what you think it means, right? You, evidence, is, evidence is up for interpretation. Everybody can look to evidence. But proof is actually, like, it's, it's solid. It's, that's, that's that. Like, you're, it's done. Uh, there, there's, you've come to a conclusion about the evidence. But in, in, in conflict, uh, what you need are all those in play. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves is who carries the burden of proof? In other words, who is obligated to provide the evidence, the proof, uh, and the witnesses that an offense or a violation has occurred? Is it the accused or the accuser? I will tell you this much. Outside of you know, legal, our, our modern court system, and the media, and all, these, and all these voices out there, and even sometimes in churches, we have it very backwards. We're not handling things right. And uh, the Bible uh, has rightly concluded, as well as modern courts, uh, our modern judicial system has rightly concluded that the burden of proof is on the accuser, not the accused. All right? So if I say that you have done such and such, it's not up to that person to prove themselves. If you're coming out with an accusation, you've got to back it up. Right. 
And we've seen in churches, and this is kind of a side note, and I'm getting way ahead of myself. But if someone in church comes up to you and says, you know, brother so-and-so, X, Y, and Z, you should ask for more and more and more facts. Right. Hello? Praise God. Amen. I mean, don't leave me up here by myself. Okay. If, if, you start, if you start hearing gossip, if you start hearing accusations, before we ever decide to get involved, and number one, ask yourself if you even want to get involved. The Bible says a man or a woman that meddleth with strife that pertains not to them is like a person who grabs a dog by the ears. Uh, I don't have a dog, but if I did, I would not grab it by the ears. Uh, amen. Because that means someone's going to end up getting bit. But if you decide to get involved or you feel that it requires your attention, the first thing you want to do is ask the person bringing forth the accusation for as much evidence, as much proof, as many witnesses as possible. Right. The Bible has already told us that one is not enough. Right. One is not enough. Amen. Everyone say amen. amen. I'm telling you, churches, friendships, marriages... Our society as a whole would be a very different place if we did this, if we actually applied this. If we said, you know what, before this conversation goes any further, before you say one more word, please, I need more than that. Huh, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's good. It would just put out, the Bible says that if you take away the fire, there's, if you take away the wood, there's no fire. So that same thing happens when you take out a tail bearer or a person causing strife. Now, if the person has a legitimate accusation and it's real, trust me, there will be evidence. There will be proof. There will be witnesses even. Hallelujah. And if they feel the need to carry it out, let it roll. Praise God. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, um, the burden of proof is always on the accuser, not the accused. Um, the Bible specifically requires at least two or more witnesses. One is not enough. Everyone say that again. One is not enough. I want you to know that as Christians, these guidelines um, still apply to us today. This is not just Old Testament uh, uh, theology. This applies to Christians today. Um, John 5 and 31. I want to show you um, something very unique here. John 5 and 31. That's Jesus talking. Jesus says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And if you want a homework assignment, go home today, read John 5, read all the way to John 10. And Jesus goes on a rampage sermon about how it's not enough just for him to say who he is. This is Jesus talking about himself. This is God incarnate saying these things about himself. In this chapter, Jesus is in conflict, as we all know, with the Pharisees and perhaps Sadducees and other religious groups. Um, Everything Jesus is saying is true. Yet he admits that it's not enough to support his truth claim. They had a right, the people he was debating with, they had a right to expect that his statements be confirmed by more evidence or by more proofs. As Jesus' words and works, and you'll notice in the Gospels, as Jesus 
As Jesus' ministry comes under more scrutiny, something unique happens. Jesus starts performing more and more miracles. Why is he doing that? The reason he's doing that is because he will declare later, uh, who's got John 10 and 25? The reason he's doing this is because Later on, Jesus, as, as, and as we'll read here in just a few verses later, a few chapters and verses in the Bible later, Jesus begins to say that these, that these miracles actually serve as, as witnesses to who he is. And what's even more powerful is Jesus just doesn't do one kind of miracle. He does, the scripture says uh, a, a diversity or or various kinds of miracles. Right. So he's not just healing the deaf; he's he's healing the blind. He's, he's limbs are growing, people are being raised from the dead. He's saying, "Man, you want proof? I got proof for you. I'll pull this boy out of the coffin. You want proof? I'll pull this girl out of a coma. You want proof? I'll show you." And he's just doing things that only God could do. Uh, John ten twenty five. Jesse. Jesus answered them, "I told you." And you believe me? I believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. All right, Hebrews two and four. Hebrews two and four. I'll read it. Listen to this. Hebrews two and four. Uh, the apostle here is talking about the the Old Testament saints of old that did not believe. Uh, the, the word and the witness of God in the wilderness. But then he begins to talk about us and the people that are under uh, the dispensation, if I can use the word, that are under this dispensation of grace in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But listen to what he says here. God also bear, bearing them, speaking of us, even this is actually pertaining to us, bearing them witness both with signs and wonders. And notice he's actually dividing these up. That's one, signs, wonders, two, and diverse miracles. That's three, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So the scripture tells us that Jesus starts doing more and more miracles in order to stay in alignment with this very foundational form of judgment. He's, and he's saying, we, we, I think it's very profound. I think, I think you'll agree with me that Jesus is saying, and man, if I just talk about myself, that's no good. Right? right? Who's going to go around talking bad about themselves anyways? You know, like... Watch here, Revelations 11.3. Even in the book of Revelation, God begins, as God begins to cast the die on the, on the apocalyptic, amen, tone of, of the book. What's he do? Who's got Revelations? Read it. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So God is getting ready to trigger uh, what we would call the apocalypse. And what does he do? He specifically sends two witnesses as judges. He is, he is saying, these are my two witnesses against the world. So even God says, if I'm going to go into judgment against you, I'm not coming by myself. I will raise up two witnesses. I'm telling you, this is something we have to adopt as church people. This is something we have to adopt when we hear, we hear say stuff. Amen. This is stuff we have to adopt when we're reading the news. This is stuff. Um, in fact, I heard this story today. Someone said, um, and I, you know, I, I like the guy, you know, whatever. But um, And I'm not trying to get political here. But um, they, somebody put out this thing. 
uh, Mark Rubio and wife have 17 traffic violations. It was like a headline in the news. And we'll come to find out, Mark Rubio actually has three traffic violations. His wife has 14. Now, I don't think that's good, but, but they made it look like... You know, it's poor Mark Rubio just smashing down the freeway and killing people, you know. Now his wife might be doing that, but, but, but the way things are being put out there, man, ask for facts. You know, validate stuff. Don't just, don't just swallow the pill and say, yeah, this is the way it is. And I'm not, I'm not trying to get political, but we are living in a political climate where people are fighting for your opinion, for your thoughts, for your ideas, for your minds. And then we're living in a very gossip-entrenched world. We're living in a world of a lot of hearsay. We're living in a world where people don't think twice about what they say in text and, and inflammatory comments, whatever. Men. Even no matter how much you love that person saying those things, no matter how much you care about them, right. ask for more evidence right. if you care. Right. <laughs> if you care, ask for more evidence. Amen. Somebody shout amen. amen. All right. Amen. Jesus, uh, Matthew 18, 15. If our conflict has no witnesses, because, uh, you know... There's just times there's, there's nobody, there's no witness, there's no evidence. We were in a, we were outside of the church and there was nobody around to hear it. And it's not like I left you with a black eye, maybe I just, but what do I do when there is no witness? What do I do? Jesus tells you to go get witnesses. And now, and, and this is, this is, this verse right here, we're going to read it in a few minutes. We've all quoted it. We've all read it. We've all said it. But I'm going to show you what it means. Right. So uh, Matthew 8, 15 through 20. Who, who can? Sister Leah. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will hear not thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in that my name, there am I in the midst of them. All right. So here Jesus is, as you can tell, he's quoting Deuteronomy. And he says, if you have a conflict with somebody, and, and he actually uses the word fault, which is unique. And we'll talk about that later. But here he says, if you have this problem, if somebody, can, you know, uh, aggravates you or commits some sort of violation or offense against you. Number one, we have to remember this. As a Christian, your chief aim should be to win your brother. As Jesus says, does he say gain or win? Uh, to gain your brother back. So Jesus here is telling you uh, one of the best things you could do. Does he use the word gain or win? Yeah. yeah, to gain your brother back, to get him back. You should want, you know, 
um, some of you here are siblings. You know, I, I watch, I have siblings. You know, when you fight with your siblings, it's just weird. It's not, it's not like you're like, okay, that's it. You're not my sister anymore, my brother, you know. That's just not, you, you're always trying. There's just, that relationship is that strong. And Jesus actually wants you to be that way with church people. Our first thought should never be like, how can we get rid of them? You know, our first thought should be, man, let's gain our brother back. And, and, and really another great word would be, let's win them back. Let's, let's get them back. But he says how to do that. He says, number one, he says, take them aside alone, privately. So that's step number one. You, you try to win, you try to gain your brother back. You say, hey, look, let's talk about this one more time. And then Jesus says, now, if he doesn't want to listen, go and get two or three witnesses. But these witnesses are not there at this point. These are a different kind of witness. They're not there to speak as to who did what. Because they weren't there. What they are there to do is to see who's being rational. And who's being, and who's, who's, who is the more willing person to reconcile. And, and actually Jesus goes a long way. He's like, okay, and if that doesn't work, then go get the whole church. But, but what he's actually doing is he's fighting for the... If we could use it, he's fighting for that family. He's saying, man, we, we got to stick together. Right. We, we got to keep bringing people into this right. in order to keep this person. It's not just like, well, we try to talk to him, bless God, let him, you know, he's done, you know, I, I've, you know. But these witnesses now, their purpose, their purpose is to see, okay, and this, as these two begin to hash this, this conflict out, their job is to determine who is being reconcilable. Because sometimes that's all that needs to happen is, is, you know, it's really hard. The truth about reality is in order to establish a good concept of reality, you cannot do it by yourself. I need someone to help me establish reality. That is a fact. You can have two people standing on the same corner, watch the same car accident, and they'll have two totally different stories as to what happened. And the more people you bring into it, the more you find the common denominator, the more you get to the bottom, the more you're able to put the facts together. And sometimes it goes the other way too. You bring more people, it just gets more confusing. But I'm just telling you, in order, in order to establish a reality, a good foundation for reality, I need someone else to validate. Or my two witnesses need to pull me aside and be like, bro, you're hypersensitive. Yes, amen. Yeah, those, those two witnesses, and we're going to talk about this in a second. In fact, it's my next point. Those two witnesses cannot be false witnesses. And, and when the Bible uses the word false, it's not just talking about someone who lies. It's talking about people that are objective, people that want the, 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 the common good, right? Amen. people that are, that are there to say, hey, let's, let's really look at who's being the knucklehead here. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is, this is important stuff. This is, this is stuff, you know, hopefully, let's all, let's all, tonight, let's all just make a promise that hopefully... 
We can all be the kind of people that when we are approached privately and by ourselves by someone, we solve it right there. We should all like opt for that. Like, because it can get embarrassing. And we should be the kind of people that when we have it out with someone and it's done, don't talk about it. Keep it private. Keep it private. Let's not, let's not, let's just keep it private. Let's not have these bad attitudes of like, oh yeah, we solved it, but I had to let her know <laughs> that she was not going to be doing that to me ever again. You know, like, let's not be that way. Amen. You should thank God you gained a brother. Right. You gained a sister. And you know what? I want I, and I'm, I'm, I was convicted the whole time I was studying this. I want to be that way. I want to, I, I, I want to be a person that projects trust and, and, and lookability and, Friendliness and flexibility. And, and there's a beautiful verse in the Bible that talks that, you know, it's more towards ministers, but really it's for everyone. And it talks about being harmless, that, that we should be harmless. Yeah. Does our behavior make people feel like this guy's harmless or harmful? Right. I know people that when you talk to me, you're like, man, I hope this works out. <laughs> they don't project harmlessness. They don't, pro- we, we have to be that way. I have to be that way, man. Let I, I'm telling you right now. There's I, I, I want us to embrace this. To, to be able to be approachable if we've offended somebody. Right. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And 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 to just be nice <laughs> and and work it out and keep it private. Amen. Say amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, but as we keep reading in verse 20, this is, this, is cru- this is crucial. Here in verse 20, we begin to understand what Jesus is saying when he says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there shall I be in their midst. That is not talking about this Sunday morning. It's not even talking about right now. Unless I offended you and you want to talk to me after church with two or three people. Because what does happen... What does happen is you call two or three people and it doesn't get resolved. You call the whole church and it doesn't get resolved. But what Jesus is letting you know, what Jesus is letting you know is if it doesn't get resolved, know this, I was right there. I was there when the situation happened and there was no evidence, proof, leftovers, nothing. And I'm there right now. And I heard the whole thing. And I know who lied. And I know... And I know who was dishonest. And I know who was bending the facts. And I know. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am there in judgment. I am there when these situations occur. You're going to need this one day in your life. Because one day you will sit in a business meeting. One day you will be pulled aside. One day you will have a conflict in a family situation. Maybe even this December coming right up. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, you're going to have this dynamic where you try to be rational. You try to, be, uh, you try to keep your brother, your sister, be it by blood or church. However it happens, you're going to try to make 
make things peace, and it's not going to happen. And you, you can walk away frustrated, bitter, angry, resentful. Uh, you can step all over your ugly Christmas sweater and cry. Or you could say, you know what? Jesus was right there. Amen. Amen. And God, if I was wrong, forgive me. Amen. And, and because Jesus was there, you should always do that. And say, you know what, God? If I was at fault, please forgive me. If I did wrong, forgive me. Otherwise, have mercy on my brother. Have mercy on my sister. Can you say a big healthy amen? Amen. But what do you do if there's false witnesses? What do you do if I, if I pull you aside with two people and we're all out to get you? And this happens. I know you don't want to hear this, but it's happening. It's going to happen to you at least once in your life. All right? What, what do we do? When there are no credible witnesses? Um, This is actually a great question. First of all, there is the biblical prohibition that stands from New to Old Testament against being a false witness. Deuteronomy 20, I mean, uh, Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20 both specifically and explicitly say, You shall not bear or be a false witness. Now, What those verses do not tell you is what are the consequences of being a false witness. And there is a consequence to being a false witness. Who who remembers what it was? It was in our opening verse. Who remembers what the consequence of being a false witness is? No? Close? Yes. Yeah, so the consequence of being a false witness is that you will now receive the punishment that that person would have received. So if the punishment was this, in the Bible you can be stoned, so we'll say that. Uh, In the Bible, in biblical times, you could be like stoned to death uh, for for some violation. You could also just be cast out of the city. There 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 was like a lot that could be done. But the Bible says that if you bear false witness, then you will have to take that punishment. This is actually a great deterrent. (laughs) A lot of times when people think of the Old Testament people roaming the wilderness, trying to establish the land of Canaan in the nation of Israel, we think of like these like, these like kind of barbarous people just, who were just, and, and, and there's, in my personal opinion, uh, evangelical Christianity has even done a pretty good job at making you feel like in the Old Testament people were just getting killed left and right, you know, by their brothers and sisters and stoned. And uh, Go back and read your New Testament. You'll read plenty of times where Jesus gets away and out of situations where he's like, oh, you want to throw rocks at me? Well, tell me, where's your witness? For which good work do you stone me? Right. And they start throwing, this is even what happens with the woman in adultery. They throw her at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, where's the witnesses? And who wants to be that witness? Like, hey, I'll tell you how I know she was dead. You look like the creep. And I know there's no kids here. I mean, not that I understand what I'm saying. But this is, this is like, you can see now, but, but Jesus, Jesus doesn't even deny that she wasn't living right. Because he tells her. Go thy way and sin no more. But what Jesus does do is he allows for the law to protect her as well. That's good. Yeah. That's good. He, and he doesn't use New Testament grace and theology. He uses Old Testament Torah. 
And he's like, man, if you guys, if you guys want to take it to this woman, go ahead. Who, who wants to be first? Right. Who wants to step? Because they just cast this one. One is not enough. And nobody was going to step up and be like, yeah, I was a witness. I saw this. I, you know, nobody. And what did Jesus say? One is not enough. Neither do I condemn you. And believe it or not, when you when you put the when you put the clause in there of like, okay, if you really want to carry this out and it doesn't go through, then you're gonna pay for it. Believe me, there was a lot of mercy being dished out. <laughs> there was a lot of forget about it. <laughs> Never happened. There was even, there, if you read in Deuteronomy 17, I believe, in Deuteronomy 17, it gets even more, it, it gets even, actually the biblical prohibition, the, the, biblical, the biblical law was this, and I, let's discuss this for a second. The biblical law was this, that if I, not only did I have to be ready to bring my, my, my evidence, my proof, and my witness, I would have to carry out the punishment. messy. And, and, you know, we live in a very sanitized world, you know. I, I know people that they see a chicken slaughtered and they're like, never eat meat again. Like, that that was that. Like, they're vegans now. You know, and just even cut carrots just gross them out. I mean, they just when I mean, just think about this. Like, you're going to have to choose how you're going to kill this person. Are you going to choke them? Are you going to throw a rock at them? I know this, we can laugh about it here, but this was like, this was real. This was like, okay, you won the case. Let him have it. And, and you had to. You had to do it. Now, in some cases, it actually produces, regardless of what anybody tells you, it actually produces a healthy sense of justice because the people of the community themselves, beginning with the offended party, can say, you know what, justice, justice works. We're going to execute justice here. There, this is not just, and we are not just primitive people in the desert. There's consequences. There's real. And on the other hand, on the other hand, I promise you, I guarantee you, there was people that were like, you know what? This ain't going to solve nothing. There was probably times where people said, you know what? I could prove, I could prove you did that. I, I, man, I got, I got family members. We got people back. But you know what? I, I, don't, I don't even want to throw a rock at you. And this happens all the time. I've, I've, I've seen it. I've read about it. You've heard it. You've heard about it. People, there's people that are like, man, if I could stop this guy from getting killed from capital punishment, I would. I don't even want to see him die. And, you know, wherever you stand on capital punishment, that's, you know, your deal. But just know that there, there are occasions where people are like, you know what? I, I, I just, I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm big enough to actually keep moving forward. And it, it doesn't, you know, again, this could be big or small. Somebody say amen. All right. Um, Galatians. Let's go to the book of Galatians. And for some reason, this did not show up in my notes, but uh, if you have Galatians, I'm going to, uh, well, 
It doesn't, I don't have it in my notes. I think it's Galatians chapter one. Uh, I might, I'll be, I'll be very transparent. I might be stretching this a little bit, but I, I see a connection here. Um, um, do you, uh, which one is that? Um, if you, if, uh, if a brother be overtaken in a fault. Who can find it? Let's read it. Let's read. It. I, I had it in my notes. I, I, six one. Six one. That's right. I thought it was one six six one. All right, six one. Who can read it for me, brother Silva? Do you have it? God bless you. All right. Notice there that word fault again. It's the same word that Jesus used. Right. And Jesus here says, if you see somebody taken over in a fault, here's something really interesting. Uh, the way that the syntax is in the Greek and that phrase, taken, uh, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, what that is actually saying is, if you see somebody who in passion made a mistake. And what, what it means, what it means there is like, you know, sometimes you do things flat out because like, man, it just made your blood pressure rise. Yeah. It's a fact. Sometimes you do things just because you're like, I was just not thinking. My, my body, this thing called body, got the best of me. Yeah. And that happens. And it happens in all kinds of stuff. In this particular context, I'm going to probably shock you here. In this particular context, Paul's actually talking about uh, what we might call sexual sins. He's, he says, if you actually see a person overtaken in a fault, if you see that, they, that they're just being... Yeah, just thoughtless and lustful and sensual. He says, he says this. He says, restore such a one. In the spirit of meanness. <laughs> no, in the spirit of meekness. And meekness. You know what's meek? Hey, let's talk. You know what's meek? Hey, let's have, do you have a few minutes? I want to talk to you outside. That's, that's meekness. Meekness is like, man, you know what? You're so much better than this. Yeah. You don't have to live like this. Did you have a comment? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, when you look in the original Greek, the word restore, it means to set a bone as if it was broken. Wow. That's good. When you read that in context, you're considering yourself as you're restoring that person, it's going to hurt him. But yes. at the same time, you're thinking of yourself and you know it's going to hurt Yes. And you don't want nobody to hurt you. So if yes. you set that bone back in place, you're going to do it very gently. And, and, and I, I personally see a shadow here of, of like what we've been discussing tonight. And the, 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 the person that's ready to carry out uh, you know, judgment against another. I think what the Apostle Paul here is saying is like, okay, if you're going to go, if, if you have to confront someone, do it in meekness. And remember... That could be you. That could be you. You know, I, I hear people say it all the time. I, I used to think it was kind of corny until I, I grew up a little bit. There go I. But for the grace of God. There go I. God's just, man, God kept me. God, you know. And as Brother Silva pointed out in the Greek there, the word restore talks about a broken bone being put back together. Just ask yourself, how would you like your broken bone put back together? <laughs> you know, would you like it done in hacks, wax, or, you know, gently? 
And it's going to hurt, right? You can't, it's just going to hurt. But let's not be brutal. Let's not be brutal. This, there, there's only one of everybody. There's only one of everybody. And we should, we should always try to win our brother, win our sister. We're not negating conflict. We're not even negating the need to confront. What we are doing is setting the standard of confrontation. Setting a standard in conflict because it's going to happen. We're setting the standard. We're getting coordinates. We're dropping the pins. And we're saying, when we come to these place, these, ro- these forks in the road, this is how we're going to behave. We're going to talk. But nobody's going to be yelling. We're going to talk, and it's going to be between you and me. We're going to talk, and we're going to pray together. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to cry with you. And I'm going to hug your neck. And I want to see you Sunday. And I want to see you Thursday. And I want to see And man, and you're my brother. You're my sister. Amen. Then it's done. We're done. Let's discuss this if you have questions. Uh, brother Willoughby.